Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. The creator of Android is back, this time with the Smart Home platform. And why would you build a chatbot for your robot vacuum cleaner? We'll hear about that today on today's Smart Home Show. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is Michael Wolf, your host. Today's guest is Pavel Orzakowski, who's with Nito Robotics. He helps design the software for one of the leading in-home robotic vacuum companies. And you know, I've had other robot vacuum company guys on the podcast, believe it or not. But uh, this one was really interesting. I had a chance to talk to Pavel about what they're doing. Uh, they've done some interesting stuff with integration uh, around Alexa and Google Home, but also they've created a chatbot to control their robot. And so you can use this idea of conversational interaction, uh, telling your robot via chat messenger to uh, do start a vacuum, stop a vacuum. I thought that was interesting. I, the whole idea, I, I think, of using chatbots and bots around smart home and devices in your home is something that interests me. So I thought I'd have Pavel on and chat with him about that. Before that, though, I want to quickly just go over the news of the day. And the big story of the day is the new company by Andy Rubin. I don't know if you've been following what Andy Rubin's been up to. I have because I've, I've been following his venture capital firm, Playground Global, which is one of the leading venture capital Companies focus specifically on hardware, so I've been intrigued by them because of that, but also just wondering what Andy's going to do next. Uh, just to refresh your memory, if you don't know, he was the guy who helped de- develop that, the Sidekick device for T-Mobile uh, back in 2000. Uh, he worked for a company called Danger, and he, and he did that product, and then he went and started Android, which got acquired by, you know it, Google, and the Android operating system really kind of became the foundation for Google's mobile efforts, and he helped lead that strategy, the the Google mobile strategy for the next almost 10 years. He left Google in 2013 after leading the their nascent efforts in robotics and other kind of interesting new projects and started his own company. Uh, like I said, it was Playground Global, but also he had a new stealth company within Playground Global called Essential. Essential uh, is the company they debuted today, and as they lifted up the veil on Essential, they introduced two things. They introduced a phone, a pretty nice-looking phone. It's titanium. Uh, it has a really amazing camera on it. Um, and it, as you would expect from Andy Rubin, if they're going to do a high-end phone, it's pretty pretty cool. But they also introduced Essential Home, which is their smart home platform, essentially. They provided a few, few clues about what it does. A little lighter on details than the essential phone, but we can we can kind of ex- extract some of the data from the the different blog posts and some of the language they use. And they they actually had about three or four blog posts from different folks about what this device will do in terms of different aspects of it. One of the focuses on uh, of the the language was on privacy. They said that uh, they'll keep all your personal private language in the home, no real reason to upload it to the cloud. They also focused a lot on talked a lot about how. Uh, the devices will communicate with one another and not use cloud integration as a way to basically connect the smart home. A lot of smart home platforms use a cloud to basically integrate uh, the different devices. 
Um, this one does not do that. So uh, that seems like it's going to be one of their, their forms of differentiation. They also talk about this idea of an ambient OS. Uh, they're calling uh, their OS, the smart, home, the smart home OS, the ambient OS. And they explain it as such. They say the ambient OS provides a set of services and abstractions that enable the development and execution of applications that run in the context of your home. With Ambient OS, your home is the computer. Ambient OS is aware of the physical layout of your home, the people that live in it, services relevant both to your home and the people within and devices. They go on to say that the Ambient OS is the API to your home that enables the creation of applications that extend the reach of a single device. For example, you can set up a timer, have the lights in the living room flash when it goes off, with Ambient OS API, developers can access the de available devices, services, and home information and can use these resources at the, as the building box of their application. So that's how they introduced it on the website. But perhaps the best idea of what the essential home can do was given last night in a conversation that Andy Rubin had on stage with Walt Mossberg. Now, they spent a lot of time talking about the essential phone, but they eventually got around this, to the subject of essential home, and Andy had a lot of enlightening things to say. And... The majority of the focus of what he said was about how this device will help the different devices in our home interoperate. And the way that Andy framed it was he said that the problem in the home, perhaps the, the main problem in the home, is what he called a UI problem, that there's too many things that you have to inter interact with in your home. And when, he, when he's talking about this concept of UI, he's using it in a broader sense, I think, than the way I, you know, I often use it where I, I'm talking about interactional errors such as voice or touch. He's pointing to fragmentation, and he talks about how the, there's all these competing apps and smart home protocols and technologies. And it, it was interesting because Ruben basically said, as the guy behind, behind Android, he felt a little bit guilty. Uh, quote, he said, I feel responsible. One of the things Android helped do uh, was really make it really easy to write a mobile app. The guy building your IoT doorbell, he's going to write an app. So he basically realized because of Android that uh, and the, the ease of which apps are created that everyone's created an app for every single device out there. Every connected device has an app, and that's part of the problem because as you walk through a home, uh, you, you go from your door to your lights to the other part of the home, you're opening an app oftentimes if you have a smart home to interact with all these devices. And he said that's unsustainable basically. I agree with them. We did a survey of about 100-plus smart home executives, and they, they pointed to the number one problem was the fact there's too many technologies. It confuses consumers, makes it uh, hard for them, and that's really what Ruben's talking about here. How's he going to solve it? Well, we didn't go into a whole lot of details, but he said you have to think of it as a UI problem. He said, quote, and you have to solve the UI for the home as an interoperability and integration issue. You can't just have 10 devices that you support. You have to support 100 thousand devices that's a lot of devices and how he plans to bridge these various ecosystems of apple amazon and google i don't know but that's clearly what he plans to do uh, he talked about how everyone is creating an island creating their own ecosystems but he wants to bridge the smart things of the world the home kits of the world the google homes the threads and the weeds these are actually the platforms that he named on stage so he actually wants to work with all of these rather than necessarily compete with them it's really quite intriguing. So I hope to hear more. Uh, I'm sure you want to hear more as well. We'll keep you updated, hopefully, on the Smart Home Show as we hear more. But for now, uh, that's all we have uh, to catch you up on, on the I think what was the big news of the week. Before we get to my conversation with Pavel, I do want to let you know that we've announced our first round of speakers for the Smart Kitchen Summit. 
Go to summit.com Check that out. Also, if you are an innovator, a startup in that space, in the food tech space, in the smart kitchen space, we've also announced our startup showcase. And the cool thing is we're actually not only giving away 15 tables at our smart kitchen summit this year for innovative startups to show their wares, we're going to give them a couple minutes on stage in front of 500 people to pitch their company uh, in front of journalists like the Wall Street Journal and Fortune, as well as companies and executives from the biggest companies in the world, whether that's Electrolux or Whirlpool or, or large retailers. If you are in that space, you want to get great exposure. Um, if you want to get people from Shark Tank calling you, uh, you want to apply for the Startup Showcase. If you have a cool product idea that is close to bringing to market, or at least you, you're maybe in the product development stage, uh, go to the Startup Showcase, fill out the application. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about. Also, uh, make sure you check out the spoon.tech. I've written a couple articles this week about Andy Rubin and his new company, about the central home, as well as a lot of other cool things. Over the last couple of weeks, I've written a couple articles about how image recognition is, is becoming an ever more important part of the smart home, how that might be the bigger focus this year for companies like Amazon and others. So, so check it out. Go to the spoon.tech and uh, check those articles out. Lastly, if you just want to go to the Smart Kitchen Summit, uh, it's lucky for you that you're listening to this, to this podcast. Just use the discount code PODCAST. Pretty straightforward. PODCAST, when you buy your ticket, gives you 25% off the tickets. We'd love to see you there. We're going to have all sorts of folks that I've talked to on the podcast. Uh, you can talk to me. I'll buy you a beer. Uh, we can chat. I'd love to have you at the at the show. All right, folks. That's it for now. Let's talk to Pavel. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about what you do with your robots because I've seen some interesting announcements from you guys, some of them around doing integrations with, for example, with, with chatbots, but just stepping back, why don't you first start by just telling us what you do all day. You, you're helping develop the software for these fairly widely deployed robots. Talk about what you uh, do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking me. Yes, it's, it is a very long story. And even though the task of uh, vacuum cleaning is, seems to be uh, trivial, to do it, uh, to have that task performed by a robot is, as you can imagine, quite complicated. Um, we are involved on a daily basis with optimizing um, how the vacuum cleaner performs its task. So uh, we're continuously thinking of how to improve our navigation, how to improve the robot behavior so that the, at the, the, uh, the end result actually uh, turns out to be, you know, you pick out the more, the, the most amount of uh, dirt and um, the customer is uh, satisfied with the product. And during this uh, process, you're gathering tons of data. Um, you're, you're understanding the structure of the house. You're understanding the, the ways in which uh, the robots kind of find their way around. Talk about how you let your machines learn from this data and how you feed that back into the product over time to make it better. Uh, yes. So, we um, we are an autonomous robot. We um, essentially you can think of the robot itself as uh, waking up from um, and pretty much not knowing anything about its environment. Right, right. As soon as you as soon as you hit hit that start button via either the app or a chatbot or even a physical button on the robot itself, the robot wakes up, turns on its um, lidar technology, and starts mapping out its environment. As soon as the environment's mapped out, and then it plans out the best trajectory and also the cleaning patterns that can actually perform that task. So 
as we deploy more and more robots, we learn more and more about the environment that the robot is in. So, for example, um, in order for us to perform a task of room-to-room navigation, uh, we have to learn from the maps that we've collected or the environments that the robot has detected as far as for simple things like what is the width of the uh, of the doorway uh, that is actually different uh, for countries in Europe versus the United States based on that decision we can learn and adapt to classify what is a room within that given environment um, we also learn about different surfaces that the robot is deployed on and cleans um, all these different profiles will give us information about um, the battery life, the current draw, the power drawn for that robot, and we can make smart, intelligent decisions as far as uh, maximizing or optimizing the speed of the vacuum blower or the actual main brush itself. Now, you came out of a world, I think, the military side or more uh, airplanes? Where, where did you come out of? Yeah, so my my actual background, I started out in uh, aerospace, aerospace industry, and and I was I was at that time when I graduated from grad school, I was interested in um, deploying satellites and figuring out where the satellites with respect to space. So as you can imagine, um, a satellite itself in a space environment may be a very difficult uh, uh, environment to navigate around. But as it turns out, it is um, it's very well behaved and it's can be very well characterized by some complicated but uh, very robust and well-defined mathematical equations. Um, what drawn what has drawn me into this um, consumer electronics uh, industry is the fact that um, I get to impact a lot more people with the product, but also at the end, it's a lot more of a challenging problem to work on. Um, doing a lot of the so the home the actually did the home is actually more of a challenging environment than the more predictable nature of space. It certainly is uh, surprisingly so. Uh, it actually is as you the robot itself has to be smart enough to detect uh, moving objects. So as you can imagine, as as we're traversing in the environment of your house, we have to be able to distinguish what is a a, a static uh, obstacle, for example, a wall or your kitchen island versus a cat or a dog or a person trying to move the robot around. Um, you know, we have been doing this at Needle Robotics for over a decade, and we've developed a hardware and uh, software that can actually detect that. And it's you may think of this as a trivial problem, but it's very hard to distinguish for a robot what is a human being versus a cat or a, or a kitchen island. And it's something that we've spent uh, a tremendous amount of resources uh, to get to the point where we are right now. And I think we're doing a really amazing job of with our you know, navigation and uh, localization technology. I'm interested how you develop your own technology versus maybe borrow from the broader advances in the robotics community, right? This idea of like image recognition and, and, and machine learning around like what it sees and then knowing it's a dog versus like a wall. You guys obviously have your a lot of your own proprietary IP there, but does the robot, robotics community work together to say, okay, there's these advances, there's open source software, maybe your um, maybe your licensing technology. How much of that goes? How much of like what you develop versus what you license or use open source goes into the products you make? Uh, good question. Um, there is 
there's been a, quite a bit of an uptick in um, visual computer vision algorithms and just yep. the visual navigation and localization, right? So we were very interested in where the uh, open source community is going. Uh, we are leveraging some of those tools. Um, however, our you know our bare bone design or bare bone technology is really based on a, a lidar. So it's not really a, a camera per se, but it's it's more of these uh, laser signatures. Yep. And um, we are proud to say that uh, you know we have developed this technology from scratch, and we've been running it for um, for a very very long time. Um, we are interested um, as. Most uh, roboticists are uh, as well into doing uh, object recognition and classification. So something that you mentioned earlier about you know, whether detecting or recognizing that the object you're seeing is a dog or a sock or some other material that a lot of vacuum cleaners have problems uh, dealing with and oftentimes get stuck. Um, so that's that's an interesting problem. It's a it's an ongoing problem. It's a hot topic in in current. Um, uh, research uh, uh, institutes. Uh, there is a lot of work that's been done uh, in open resource, especially the open CV. Uh, we are leveraging some of the technology. We are looking into what people are doing out there, but we're also coming up with our own ideas to uh, how to integrate or maybe just use parts of the open source code from different directions. So it, we currently, we don't have an, an object recognition uh, or any of the the visual uh, mapping or localization uh, things that you've talked about, but we are looking into it and seeing whether or not it makes sense to integrate into our platform. So using infrared um, and all your intelligence and and kind of understanding around the world that the the world around you is based on that over time, maybe evolution involves some sort of camera or image recognition, but how much of what you guys have done that intelligence you built around using IR and white radar that seems like that'd be hugely valuable. Like, for example, do you have companies that come to you and say, hey, we want to take what you've learned? Can you, do you guys ever think about licensing that out? Or is that something you guys just use for your own business and your own products? Um, that's a very, very good question. Um, and the answer is yes. So we are getting um, a lot of pings on our LiDAR technology. So we've been working on our LiDAR for just as long as we've been working on our algorithms. Now, we have a platform that's been optimized um, for that particular technology. So um, doing you know, obviously using a LiDAR for doing this uh, navigation problems, much like uh, the autonomous vehicles are, are using as well, the difference, the differentiator for us is that that piece of hardware has been designed and integrated with our hardware to work at its best price point and to give the exact um, specs that that is needed to navigate around the house. So um, how fast the LiDAR is spinning, um, how fast the data is sampled, um, the all the different scale factors, all the different sensitivities that are required to operate around your house, we've been building up on it. And as at the end of the day, what we're getting is this uh, very good module. And actually, a lot of our LiDARs, when if you go on eBay, you can actually uh, see that they're available for um, for sale. Um, we also believe in the open source uh, community, so we have de- have designed our robots uh, with uh, certain APIs, so you can actually integrate 
uh, your own algorithm and try out some of our sense data to navigate our robot around it if you have your own algorithm. So people are out there, people are using our technologies and our technology is modular enough where you can lift certain parts of it and use it in your own uh, applications. House cleaning and vacuuming is an application, but this idea of understanding navigation around the home uh, based, you know, using LIDAR, taking that data and just learning from that is, is something that is applicable to all sorts of different things and applications besides I would imagine vacuuming. And I know you guys can't go into you know the new the new products you may be rolling out over time, but um, how do you think about taking the knowledge that you developed and what your products gather and applying that to to new tasks? Is this something you guys are constantly looking at? Yes, uh, you know, with just the fact that we um, have a very huge presence out there in in the world, um, we have. Uh, several several uh, uh, different models and now just a large number of robots deployed all over the world. Uh, we are collecting the data. We're using cloud analytics to uh, to figure out what we want to uh, how we how we can improve on the performance. At this time we're really focused, we're really narrowed down our path and we really want to make sure that the cleaning experience from the robot is truly optimized. Um, I think we have made, obviously, we've been running for a very long time, so we've made a lot of good improvements, but uh, we're not done completely just yet. I think we can still improve on our product. Um, getting the different uh, sensors augmented into our platform uh, will will certainly help. Um, but as far as, um, you know, as far as our technology, where we want to go, I don't know the stuff that I can't get into right now. We do want to stay course and make sure that we still improve our improve on our cleaning performance, we provide um, different features. So maybe if, if the actual cleaning performance per se is, is, is optimal and, you know, the navigation part of it, the cleaning is, is already at its optimal performance, we want to give an interface to our customers that allows it to use that um, machine a lot easier. So, for example, um, interface with uh, Facebook's chatbots, interface with, um, Amazon's um, Alexa or Google Home or, for example, a way for you to have uh, to come up with uh, scheduled tasks. You can certainly do a lot of that. Um, and those are the all the new features that we want to make sure that are available to our customers. And we're putting a lot of effort and energy into making them available via different these different platforms. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the the Google Home and the Alexa integration. Um, I feel like that's a great uh, way to to interface with your technology. Um, also, I think when I think about uh, what you guys do, and if it's analogous to like smart cities and and ultimately autonomous vehicles, when I some of the work I've done with smart cities and, and, and looked at that, I mean, a lot of these companies are putting or a lot of these these uh, jurisdictions and cities are putting in infrastructure for this to on on the the highways and byways for the the road for the cars to understand where they're going and communicate i would imagine uh, there's an, something analogous to where a smart home can act like that where the sensors are in the home they could communicate with uh the robot to maybe help the robot better do its job but also extract data from the robot 
talk about what you guys are doing with regards to smart home integration and, and some of the scenarios you guys are thinking about. Because I would imagine there is somewhat of an analogy there where both the smart home and the robot can actually improve based on the communication with each other. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's what we, we believed in that from the get-go. And I think we're all very proud to uh, be the first uh, team and within the robotic uh, community, vacuum robotic community to actually come up with a full integration with Amazon's Alexa, uh, Google Home, and the Facebook uh, uh, chatbot. Um, so the, we realize the importance of these uh, platforms and we will continue supporting that integration. I think it's really important to be uh, involved with these big players just because um, as as Alexa and Google Home are going to become more and more popular and widely used uh, in our houses, they're going to provide a lot more options that if we're already integrated with them, uh, we can leverage some of that technology as well. So um, Amazon's Alexa is an amazing little, is an amazing tool. Uh, the, the speech recognition, uh, software that is running on that platform is just mind blowing. Um, we know that Amazon is putting a lot of resources into that product. Um, if, if we're actually riding on that wagon, we can take our platform and really take it to another level and, uh, and really leverage a lot of the work that those, uh, big companies are doing, um, already. Um, so like you were saying, integrating with different sensors around the house, um, triggering different uh, cleaning events or scheduling different cleaning events based on uh, based on all these different sensory inputs is, is, uh, is something that is very exciting and interesting for us to pursue. So on the integrations today, tell us, you know, what you can do. Can you initiate a vacuum? Can you, can you, can you recall it? I'd be interested also to learn how, you know, if there's data that Alexa can extract from, a robot based on what it knows about the home, or is it mainly about con- control and 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 sending actions and commands to the robot? Um, yeah, so you can you can perform basic tasks, so you can schedule the robot to uh, perform a cleaning event. Um, you can do that with you know those devices. You can tell tell it to pause. You can tell it to stop. Um, just basic commands. As far as the uh, the data that is generated by the robot, we uh, we're not quite ready to share that with Amazon um, or any of those other uh, uh, companies, so we are actually uh, storing that uh, on our own servers, and uh, we're using it for our own uh, benefit. So um, I think once we get, once we learn more, and once we get more comfortable with the data and what can be done with it, then I think at that point we can make smart decisions as far as how to integrate that information with with the rest of Alexa. But um, where we are right now, um, I think we have all of the stubs to make that step um, in, in the not-so-distant uh, future. Um, so right now, we're just preparing ourselves for where we know where the market and the technology is going to go. So we we collect all of, we collect all the data. We can make smart decisions. We can make smart predictions. Um, we can have a robot um, that can um, be outfitted with you know, different sensors so it can actually perform different tasks other than just the cleaning. So all of that stuff that is not hard to imagine as for possible application like the robot, especially since we've been deployed for uh, um, just all over the world. 
So we're just preparing for ourselves for these next steps. Talk about the um, decision to go with a Facebook Messenger bot integration. I mean, it's it's pretty much a no-brainer nowadays for anyone with a Wi-Fi connected device to do an Alexa integration. You almost have to now to have that uh, that marketing, comp- you know, to tell people that you have, you're Alexa integrated. And when I look at chatbots, so those are much less widely understood from a. Uh, a a hardware perspective from an integration perspective, but also consumers thinking about this idea of controlling their products. Uh, no, not many consumers. That's, that's still a foreign concept. Whereas they also, they all at this point pretty much get voice commands. So wh- why did you decide to do that? Um, and, you know, do you think this is something that ultimately will have as, as wide a deployment as Alexa? Um, I think the only, the, the only time will tell as far as what, who's going to be the ultimate winner in this. But what we want to place ourselves uh, in a position where we can't integrate with all these different paradigms. So um, obviously, like you mentioned, Amazon uh, Alexa and the Google Home are, are essentially a, a must for a lot of the uh, home smart devices. Uh, maybe not so much for the Facebook chatbot. Um, however, as you know, Facebook is a very well-funded company, so I think they may actually uh, take their uh, chatbot technology to the next steps too, and they can come up with some smart features that we'd want to leverage. Um, if we are integrated with as many of these uh, platforms as possible, that puts us in a very unique position where we can exploit on some of those uh, technologies that the, that the big guys come up with. And right now you can basically do uh... – commands, you can start a, a clean, you can control your vacuum using the chatbot today. Anything you can do with the chatbot that you can't do with an Alexa or, or a Google Home? Uh, one of the other things that we're, you know, we're looking into is, uh, we are actually doing is uh, just a basic customer support with a chatbot. Um, you can type in questions and uh, the chatbot itself can actually reply with some basic instructions of how to fix uh, your robot. Um, so you could, um, many times what you will get is, uh, a lot of standard error messages from the robot. Um, you can type that into your, your chatbot and figure out what's the best way to fix it or address it. And the, the visual nature of a printed, uh, basically a digital medium that is in voice, I, I think there's an advantage there. So when people look to fixings, do you guys often look to send them, uh, pictures of what you're talking about? And is that something you guys are thinking about? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, we can integrate, we can just snap a picture of the robot, snap a picture of its environment and send it out. And, um, and we can actually provide the, uh, the first, uh, response and see if we can, uh, help you out with that situation. Yeah, that, that's, that's certainly something that we're doing right now and, and probably exploring. And we're investing more and more energy into that field as well. Um, Anytime that we can save uh, a customer a call to our customer support service, it's not only is it um, financially beneficial for us, but also it's it's much, much faster for our end customers to actually get the answers right away rather than uh, dealing with a person on the other line. Do you have visibility? You have to give me the data, but do you have visibility into how many people are using these types of interfaces? I would imagine that people are getting robot vacuums there may be a little bit more advanced than just the average household uh, i don't know if that's true tell, feel free to tell me if i'm wrong if that's the case they might be more inclined to use something like alexa so 
is, you know, are you seeing lots of adoption of these interfaces? Um, and, and is what I think about your user base true in that they're probably more advanced than the average consumer? Definitely. Uh, I mean, we're seeing more and more people using, relying on these devices. Um, we are generating, uh, we are actually uh, storing that data as part of our cloud analytics. So we know exactly where the community is going, where, um, what kind of uh, demographics is actually using a certain technology. And then we can know where to target uh, our robots with that technology, what, you know, what part of the country or, or uh, what, what, what are part of our demographics. As far as the, uh, the number of usage, um, I'll have to get back to you on that later. But uh, but we do have those numbers available, and we can share them with with you uh, at some other time. Well, this has been great. Uh, thanks for taking time to tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing and how you guys are taking your your robots and integrating them with some of the smart home platforms. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. So that's it. You still think it's weird to use a chatbot to interface with your connected devices? I think it's actually an intuitive way. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's a different form, a different medium. But I think it's one that we're going to see more of. So hope to have uh, more conversations in the future about that. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this Smart Home Show. As I said, please go to thespoon.tech. Check it out. Also, if you're interested in the Smart Kitchen Summit, we'd love to see you in October, October 10th and 11th. Go to smartkitchensummit.com. Use the discount code podcast. And if you want to chat with me on Twitter, go to Michael Wolf. You can send me a direct message. Let me know what you think. I always want to hear from the listeners. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon.